Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and this week I'm joined by the man who has been approached to be the face of a Danish lager brand after his review on the last episode. It's Greg. How are you, Greg? Very good. Um, I've not drank any of that two Borg since the last episode of the Swally, which we recorded almost two weeks ago. I would love to tell everybody listening that that's true, that two Borg have approached me to be their Middle East face of the brand, but sadly not. Uh, I don't that's think a shame. It's a shame, yeah. I mean, like I said in the last episode, I do like the normal two Borg, generally speaking. It's a good beer, but... They're like, they're sort of Danish tramp blend or brew or whatever. It's just a bit too much for me, so. You're trying to dig yourself out there, aren't you, in case they do actually approach you? <laughs> well, my mate's coming over on Thursday. I've got a pal who's from Glasgow, actually, who lives here with his family. He's, him and the family are coming over on Thursday afternoon because it's Ramadan here, so the workday finishes earlier. So he's going to come over for a cup, for a few drinks and a bite to eat. So I'm hoping that he's going to put a bit of a dent in that um, case of two ball for me. I'm sure he will. He's a good 10 years younger than me, so his capacity for strong lager is probably a lot a lot better than mine. And what are you going to do? Give him a tin of two borg and you're going to sit and drink a bottle of Peroni or something? <laughs> or are you going to are you going to pour it into glasses so that he doesn't realise? I might, I might shandy my own one <laughs> just in the kitchen. I don't know. I'll see. What I'll do is I'll have a selection. So I'll say I've got this two borg or I've got whatever else I go and I go and pick up and hopefully he chooses the two Borg. I might not mention that it's the strong two Borg. Maybe I'll let him find it out for himself and then act surprised. What? Is it, are you sure? They're super strong. I thought I thought the red tin was a bit weird. I've never seen red tin. Yeah, I've got it all rehearsed. You could say it's it's like the Iron Brew re-releasing their original recipe. You could say it's two Borg original recipe. It's like a special limited edition. It's a great idea. That's a great, yeah. There you go. There you go. Hopefully he doesn't <laughs> download and listen to the podcast. At least until our friendship is cemented a bit more. I haven't known him very long, you know. <laughs> so, oh dear. what have you been up to? Uh, nothing very much exciting, I'm afraid. I haven't got anything of note to report to you, unfortunately. How about yourself? No, I've not been doing anything particularly interesting apart from... So, a few months ago, I listened to a podcast with Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright discussing classic British films but it's sort of lesser known ones and I made a bit of a Rita Sue and Bob too <laughs> no, they don't mention that one I don't know why I would put that up there it's Alan Clark movie no like stuff like some of the lesser known Ealing ones uh, just like films that never heard of I've always quite liked like the old Hammer films but especially the Hammer films which aren't like classic horror adaptations but more sort of contemporary for the time kind of things and the old um, Amicus anthology horror films and stuff they are mentioned but there's one called The Strong Room which is quite good about bank robbers that rob a bank that rob a bank funnily enough and they leave the manager locked in the safe over the weekend and have a bit of a crisis of conscience about whether they should back and get him or not and there's one called Yield to the Night which is quite good one called the Ace Fix I think it's called with Robert Powell which is just fucking batshit crazy and I really enjoyed it and I, last night I watched um, Repulsion problematic director Roman Polanski's first English language film and I, it was a bit, I think I message you to say it was a bit slow but mm. it's quite compelling as well can't really can't really explain why i quite enjoyed it so yeah that's kind of what i've been and the other big thing that i've done of course uh since the last podcast and um, was get the 
Culture Swally website up and running. So still needs a bit of refining, but we'll post a link on uh, the Instagram page and you can come along and have a look. We'll find lots of interesting things to put on there related to the podcast. Yeah, and very wonderful it is too. And we'll make sure that we update that regularly with any of the items that we've been reviewing or any news stories that we have that have caught our eye during the week. So speaking of news, seamless little link there. Shall we talk about what's been happening back home over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, let's have a look at the news. Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, so uh, what have you seen in Scotland that has caught your eye over the last couple of weeks, Greg? Anything exciting? I've got a few sort of swally, uh, genre, irreverent stories. But before that, we need to make... So it's been, a, it's been a tragic couple of weeks. In the last episode of the swally, I think Prince Philip had just passed away. Not that, you mm. know, not that we were in, in mourning for him or anything, but even worse... Les McCohen of the Bay City Rollers passed away suddenly a couple of days ago. Yeah, very sad loss. Very sad. Loved the Bay City Rollers, you know. But bye-bye, baby. Um, yeah, very, very sad. But it did remind me of our own sort of tenuous association with a Bay City Rollers classic song. Well, Shangalang. Shangalang. I think we mentioned it uh, a couple of episodes ago, didn't we, we did. about the, the Shangalang story. It was in the High Life, that's right, because they used the track in uh, in a flashback for Shona. <laughs> they did. So I suppose we can maybe tell a bit of the story. I don't know if we'll tell. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do what Joe Cornish did in Adam Buxton's podcast and just tell a bit of it and just come back to it periodically. But it, So you want to tell a bit of the Shangalang story? I think it's too good a story just to give it all the way. <laughs> Just to give it all the way in one episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why not? Well, I'll let you take it away then. I'll set the scene. So it's December in the year 2000. You and I hadn't known each other. Well, we think we were sort of aware of each other, maybe, but we didn't really know each other. You were living in Norwich, but of course you were home for Christmas. And uh, you and I and our very good mutual friend, Rick, went for a kind of between Christmas and New Year's night out in Aberdeen, where we all lived at the time. And we started off the night at an Aberdeen institution, which we which again we found out a couple of weeks ago is about to close its doors, the illicit still, because our good friend was quite keen on one of the barmaids who worked there. Problematically, I think the barmaid was a bit keen on you. <laughs> Perhaps more so than she was on him, but that's that's not important to the story. For the young people listening, back then in Aberdeen, there was a big nightclub at the down at the beach, and for, for a while, I think it was the biggest nightclub in the UK for a, for a period of mm. time, called Amadeus. The scene of broken hearts and good nights out and all kinds of mischief and mayhem in the early 2000s and late 90s in Aberdeen. And so we decided, after having quite a lot to drink in the illicit still, that we should go down there. But the illicit still is in the city centre, and it would have it would have involved walking down the Beach Boulevard. So we decided that we would get a taxi. And when we, we went to the first taxi rank, the closest one, which is next to the cemetery in Aberdeen, and it was too busy. So like characters in a fairy tale, like a Grimm's fairy tale, we went to find the next taxi rank on D Street, which is a bit further away, but I suggested that it might be quieter. And when we got to the taxi rank, something quite unusual 
happened. If you want to find out what happened, <laughs> then you'll have to listen to a future episode of The Swally. And I'll give you a bit more of the story. Oh, wonderful. You've crafted that so nicely. And it's a, a wonderful start to the Shang-A-Lang story. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. I like that very much. Fantastic. Yeah. Tune in next time. Hey, maybe we won't say it next time to find out what happened that evening. Um, okay. <laughs> so what's your first news story this week, Greg? Well, my first story this week comes from... Glasgow Live again. So back in January, Glasgow Live ran a story about a man who had repurposed a Volvo, a 1998 model Volvo 960 hearse. He converted it into a limo and called it a Dracucab, <laughs> and he put it for he put it up for sale. Now this uh, this hearse has a minibar inside it. It's got LED lights. Um, and incredibly, it's got a mannequin of Dracula himself, um, to insert quotation marks here, resting quietly in his bed, <laughs> behind the coffin at the back. But um, somebody in Glasgow has, you know, perhaps usurped that guy with the strangest item up for sale online. Basically, he has taken an old toilet and repurposed it as a barbecue cooler <laughs> combo for the garden and put it up for sale. So there's a photograph of it. If you can, we'll put a, we'll put the picture up on the website and on Instagram. If you can, I'll try and describe it to you. So the cistern is packed with ice and beers. And then the barbecue part of it, they've taken like the toilet bowl, filled it with, um, you know, coals and wood, etc. And put a grill over the top of it. This is a Michael Christie. He's put it on Facebook Marketplace in the Glasgow area. He's listed it under Garden and Outdoor <laughs> and uh, Barbecue Grill section of the site. Uh, so it's quite an old porcelain toilet. Uh, so it refashioned into a fire pit. Uh, I mean, it sounds like the, the, the journalist is trying to sell it. Complete with a grill on top for all your choice meats to sizzle away on. And with the cistern doubling up as an ice storage area for keeping your beers nice and chilled. The best part is that the photo of the barbecue in the listing shows that it's in perfect working order. <laughs> with a few beers a few beers uh, chilling in the cistern and a good fire burning away in the pan. All ready for somebody there. He's only selling it for 50, uh, for 50 quid. But oh, there's, bargain. there's a hilarious uh, spelling sort of error in this paragraph here. So but what the journalist has tried to say is, and for £50, it burns in a lot cheaper than the top of your range barbecues out there costing an arm and a leg. But what he's actually written is, and for £50, it bums in a lot. He's, well, he's tried to write it comes in, but he's written it bums in a lot cheaper than the top of the range. No, but maybe, actually, maybe he meant to um, put that, actually, in hindsight. So, yeah, so for £50, you can have a combination fire pit and beer cooler in your garden. Don't know about that. Would you? I mean, you just wouldn't, right? <laughs> I, I don't think I would have a, a veggie burger that had been cooked on a toilet. Would you take a... No matter how clean it was. Would you take a can of lager out of the cistern cooler? Uh, yes, I would definitely take a tin of Tuborg <laughs> out of the cistern cooler. Yeah, the cistern, that's fine. It's it's clean water that goes in there. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Mm -hmm. It's not 
but yeah, I don't think I'd be tempted to to have a, a sausage that had been cooked on the top of that. I mean, I'm assuming that the guy that's selling it has actually been using it because, like, for I, I mean, I don't mean using it as a as a toilet, but using it as a barbecue. I don't know. I mean, apparently there's not a great deal of description. It says that there's no description attached to the listing, just a line from the seller who appears to live in the West End of Glasgow saying, DM me for more info. (laughs) I'm not sure how much more information you would need other than where it is to go and collect it if you wanted to buy it. Um, But, you know, at first I thought it might be an April Fool's joke, but um, it was posted on the 20th of April, so it can't be. It's a nice bit of kind of upcycling, though. You know, maybe it was a toilet that he didn't need anymore, so he's repurposed it. I could see uh, Carol Smiley and Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, you know, doing like a changing rooms. Yeah. And look what we've done to your toilet. Now you have a barbecue. It's yeah, it's good. Good bit of upcycling, especially in these times where we're being conscientious and all about sustainability and everything. I think it's uh, it's good. I was just about to say that. It's very on, very on message for the current agenda. And of course, it's Air- it was Earth Day the other day on uh, Thursday. Yeah, it'll be sort of accidentally found quite a, a story that ties in quite well with Earthy. What's your um, what's your first story this week? Um, well, I think we'll stick on trend, won't we? I also have a story involving a toilet in a kind of roundabout way. We've discussed this before, that sometimes you just see a headline and you think that ah, this is for the swally. This is also from Glasgow Live. Drunk stranger rings Glasgow man's doorbell demanding, let me in for a shite. Uh, A Glasgow plasterer was stunned when a passing drunk rang his doorbell demanding to use his toilet. Sean Ewart could not believe his eyes on Saturday when the inebriated man asked to come in for a shite. Sean, 27 from the Gorbals, was just enjoying his peaceful night in watching Only Fools and Horses. I don't know why that's relevant to the article, but they had to get that in there. The exchange was captured on Sean's... Sean's? Sean's doorbell footage camera, which shows the man asking to use his bathroom. The drunk guy rings the doorbell. Sean's like, hello? (laughs) And he says, all right, mate, I was just wondering whether you'd let me in for a shite. (laughs) (laughs) Sean replies, no, mate. Clearly inebriated, the man continues, how no, you fucking dick? (laughs) You're a fucking bam. Let us in for a shite. Laughing, Sean stands his ground and says no again. The drunk then calls him a fucking prick. (laughs) Sean then delivers a final, get off my driveway or I'll phone the police, as the unknown man delivers a final, fuck you, and walks away. (laughs) Sean decided to share this footage on his Twitter page, saying, this is fucking mental, man. This bam came to my door last night, wanted in for a shite. So the newspaper, he contacted him and he said, yeah, I was pretty taken aback, but I knew the guy was drunk, but I wasn't him letting him in due to COVID-19 restrictions. Would you let him in normally anyway? I was laughing out of awkwardness, but I've been since told that it's a wee guy who drinks in the pig and whistle where my granddad used to drink. So it's even more of a laugh now. So the guy hasn't been identified, but he obviously drinks in the pig and whistle. So... It's just, would you ring somebody's doorbell and ask to be let in for a shite? No, definitely, (laughs) definitely not. The thing is, though, he's obviously drunk, but he starts off so polite when he's like, all right, mate, I was just wondering whether you'd let me in for a shite. When he's told no, (laughs) then he goes with it. How no, you fucking dick. (laughs) You 
you're a fucking gets, bam. Let us in for a shit. It gets nasty. Well, he was obviously desperate. And you know what it's like if you really need to go and you can maybe get a bit of a short fuse if you're if you're in that kind of situation. Hey, if only Sean had had a barbecue in his garden, then it could have solved everything. <laughs> a toilet barbecue. Yeah, just yeah. pry prize off the grill and make sure there's no beer in the cistern have at it well hopefully there is beer in the cistern then you can have a little beer whilst you're having a shite (laughs) what would you do with toilet paper though that's Mm. the question yeah don't know anyway so that's my first story this week it did actually i'm not sure why but it reminded me of something that i had not thought about for years and years my mom and i used to live in robroyston in glasgow and we just lived in like a little one-bedroom flat after she left my dad and i'm sure your mum used to it was the same in you where we like you got the milk delivered and mm. then every, like, one night a week, the milkman would come round and collect his money. They, it was a young guy, who I think probably like a teenager, maybe. Um, he seemed a lot, I was only about six or seven, so he seemed a lot older than me. And I guess he was either the milkman's son or he worked for the milkman. He used to come in, but every single Friday, he would always ask to use the toilet. My mum always just told him no, right? She was like, oh, no, away you go. Use your, toilet, use your toilet at home. But then one night, for whatever reason, maybe she just felt that she had got to know him a bit because he had been coming for like a few months to collect the milk money. She let him use it. Fuck me. He stunk the flat out. I swear to God. She was so angry that she complained to the milkman. How did you complain? What are you feeding your son? His shite is stinking. <laughs> she didn't complain. She just had a, like, sort of like, had a moan at the milkman. She was like, you know, I, that, that boy, every week he asks to use her toilet. Every single week. I mean, he, he collects money from all the flats. <laughs> Why does he never ask anybody else? And she said, the one time I let him use it, he stinks out the whole bloody flat. She was absolutely furious. I mean, it, was, it was quite a kind of... I remember the boy as being quite a sort of heavy boy. I don't, I don't think he was... I wouldn't have said he was like fat as such, but quite kind of stocky, you know. And Very good. Well, there you go. There's a lesson for everyone. Don't let strangers use your toilet. Yes, I think Sean made, Sean made the right decision there. I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. What else have you seen this week? My, my next two stories. One is very much iron, is very much iron brew related, and I feel like I've had quite a lot of quite a lot of iron brew news lately. But <laughs> yes, yeah. we have. It's because the, the the marketing department iron brew are just like for the last like sort of twenty years or so they've just been on it. You know what yeah. I mean? They like, they sort of really cheeky, funny messages and as well mm. as some like brilliant advertising campaigns. But this one, so as people may be aware, there's a bit of a news story going on just now between um, Marks and Spencers and uh, Aldi sort of um, budget supermarket in the UK. So Mars and Spencers for years have had this uh, Colin the Caterpillar birthday cake for kids. Aldi, who for years have just like blatantly well, they've always sailed a wee bit close to the old copyright infringement. The the one that springs to mind is obviously there's the classic, or the very popular rather, alternative butter spread called I Can't Believe It's Not Butter, which you can get in any supermarket. And Aldi brought their own one out. I can't remember what the name was, but it was something like, you won't believe this isn't butter, or, <laughs> or you know what I mean, or something like that. So now... They've taken on Marks and Spencers, and Marks and Spencers are not having any of it. So they've taken action against Aldi's Cuthbert the Caterpillar cake, because um, it looks a lot like Aldi's, uh, like Marks and Spencers Colin the Caterpillar cake. But Marks and Spencers have been watching this, sorry, I and Brew rather have been watching this case unfold clearly. And um, Kanye West's brand of trainers, uh, otherwise known as Yeezys by Adidas, have brought out a new shoe. And um, this is the Yeezy Boost 700. Um, there's a photo 
photograph on it and it is very, very, very close to the iron brew colours. I don't think Yeezys are particularly attractive training shoes. I'm, I'm more of a sort of classic Adidas Samba, Adidas Campus sort of classic trainer guy. I don't think Yeezys, but I know they're very, very popular. They're sort of, I, I always think of them as sort of cone-shaped Yeezys. So these ones, the Boost 700s have got a bright orange, very thick sole and then a, a, a sort of sky blue Maybe dark, maybe a little bit darker than sky blue upper, but like in a black trim. Very, very much the Iron Brew logo. So um, Iron Brew tweeted a picture <laughs> of the Yeezy Boost 700s in bright blue, saying, does anybody know the lawyer Marks and Spencers is using? <laughs> 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 and uh, Tango have jumped on board as well, because Tango have felt that it also kind of it sort of looks like their colours a bit as well. So they've offered to split the difference on the legal fees with Iron Brew. But these uh, these Yeezys go for 250 quid. I mean, like, you know. It's bizarre. And it's only because, obviously, Kanye West's involved. I mean, personally, I agree with you. I think they're horrendous. Give me a pair of... If you're speaking Adidas, give me a pair of superstars all day long. Yeah, 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 um, superstars. I, I'm not a fan, but I understand there's a demand for them, and hey, it's what the kids like. But yeah, they go for ridiculous amounts of money. And as you say, I've seen a photo of these. They're fucking hideous. <laughs> they are absolutely hideous. <laughs> absolutely hideous. But uh, sure, we tell their foot asylum. We're quick to offer up a solution, saying... Uh, We've got a spot on our shelves uh, if you want to release your own iron shoe in the spell uh, to iron. So, yeah, so that's uh, Adidas, t- you know, running the, the kind of risk of the might of... I mean, Iron Brew, they're also, like, very, very protective of the brand as well. Mm. Like, fiercely protective. I mean, I think, because the, the Bars is still a family-owned company, and I think like, there's only, like, one or two people that know what the secret ingredient is in iron brew you know and the, the main ball i mean it's, it's it's got to be something that's just absolutely dreadful for you has to be right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but tastes yeah. delicious at the same time Tea, absolutely we've pissed off two borg but don't piss off iron brew no definitely no i'm hoping that iron brew bung as a sponsorship at some point when we get a bit more traction on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> fucking advertising we'll their it. advertising their product all the time my, my my next story has also got a wee bit about iron brew in it so it does oh jesus so. christ right i think we're gonna have to have an iron brew ban for a while because <laughs> so. it's, it's getting too far we're not getting any money from them so yeah. let's Try and get some stories about tonics next week because I quite fancy some caramel wafers oh, and I love a caramel tea cakes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only joking, of course. So, what is your other news story then that contains a little bit of iron brew? Well, what's your? How do you feel about Gordon Ramsay? He's he's quite a polarizing uh, personality, I think. I would say so. A massively polarizing personality. To be perfectly honest, I I think he's fantastic. I really do. I think he's great. Okay. If you kind of take out his little... He tells a tall tale occasionally. I, I remember reading his, his autobiography, and they mention it all the time on Off the Ball. Like, when you read his autobiography, you would think that he, like, captained Rangers. Whereas, I don't think he even really... I think he played, like, one youth game or something for them. But when the way you read this book, he's like hang, he's speaking about hanging out with, like, McCoysty and Durante and stuff in the dressing room. <laughs> And I'm sure Durant has said, like, I don't fucking remember Gordon Ramsay even being at Rangers. <laughs> he tells a tall tale. However, I do think he is very good. He's very funny. And from everything I've read online, apparently he is the nicest man, like, in terms of working for him, for example. Like, I know he comes across as this sweary, fiery guy. 
But apparently, if you've worked for Gordon Ramsay, no one has a bad word to say about him. He is apparently just such a really lovely guy. No, I mean, I, I like him as well. I'm with you. I, I, I like his shows and stuff like that. Like, uh, we watch... Uh, Hell's Kitchen as a family. But no, I like him. I, I like him a lot. You touched on it with the Rangers thing. Uh, his his sort of Scottish credentials can sometimes be a bit problematic. And you know, he was born in Johnson, but he grew up in England. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. I've 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 seen his mum being uh, interviewed, and I remember he had her on his show, The F Word. He was having like I mean I don't know who does this. He's he's a he's a he's a famous professional chef. He gets his mum in the F Word to see whose apple crumbles better, hers. Or his, I, I think I, I can't quite remember, but I think hers might have hers might have beat his. Actually, I think because the, they, they do a blind taste test with these like diners and uh, food critics, and I think hers, I think hers won. Well done, but, Mrs. Ramsey. Well, lately he's been doing TikTok videos where he comments on uh, food bloggers. So there's one, there's a food blogger from Scotland, uh, an, an Asian Scots guy called Miles Omar. He combined two Scottish favourites uh, in his clip when he, because he, he regularly creates like recipes and stuff. He created a recipe for iron brew chicken pakora, like oh. Scottish style chicken pakora, just as a bit of fun. Him and his missus at home. Obviously, him, his restaurant is maybe closed at the moment because of COVID and whatnot. So you know, it's kind of keeping his eye in, if you like. So Gordon Ramsay has uh, reviewed o- uh, Miles's little video on his TikTok channel, but he's he's putting on this Scottish accent, <laughs> and it's just it's not good. It's not. He just there's there's no need, right? First of all, he starts off by saying Monty, like you know, like oh Monty, Monty fuckman, but he's like oh Monty, oh, and then yeah, <laughs> and then he kind of he sort of ends it by saying come away to Falkirk in this really ropey uh, Scottish accent before declaring that uh, Miles has lost the plot, but he got in a bit of trouble for dissing Falkirk. I think we, we think we mentioned it a few episodes ago because he's been presenting this uh, quiz show on the BBC One, uh, Bank Balance. I think he said that Falkirk was a shithole. But this video, and I think he did come out and um, apologise for saying that. He didn't mean to offend anybody, but pe- pe- people from Falkirk are up in arms. Somebody's um, has uh, posted, Folk for Falkirk, why are you so obsessed with us? <laughs> um, others were surprised by his Scottish accent, leading to Gordon Ramsay having to say that I am actually Scottish, which, you know, I guess he is. But the reason that his uh, Scottish credentials were called into such doubt is that he's... Because on his little kind of title, on his TikTok video, he spelled Iron Brew wrong. Oh, so sp- God. So he, rather than spell it I-R-N-B-R-U, he spelled it I-R-O-N. But he still spelled, he still spelled Brew B-R-U. Miles isn't bothered though. He's absolutely uh, in cloud nine that he's been recognised by Gordon Ramsay. Obviously, someone that he, re- that he respects. Miles said that uh, my wife and I were in the kitchen getting ready to make another video, and I got the notification. I think I was in shock for the first hour. I had to sit down because I couldn't believe it. We ended up not making a video and having a night off because we were too buzzing from what happened. And he wasn't bothered by Gordon's jokey criticism. Taking it all in his stride, he said he was really thankful to the TV chef for actually taking the time out to make the video for him. Before quipping, I've got a wee feeling he secretly loved my recipe. He does put a lot of salt in that recipe, <laughs> that picota though. Um, but he does put quite a lot of iron brew into it as well. I guess like he needs the salt to so like uh, take, balance take out the sugar. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, look, Gordon Ramsay upset. But I, I, have you heard the expression? I've, I've heard the expression "get to Falkirk." as a substitute for get to fuck because obviously you might want to tell somebody to go away but you don't want to say the F word in front of your 
children or something, so you might say get yeah. to Fal- get to Falkirk. Now, yeah. I've never heard come away to Falkirk. Yeah, I think he's mixed himself up a bit there. Yeah, I think um, I, I mean, would you would you say come away to fuck? Yeah, potentially you would. Yeah, maybe. Come away to fuck, but I don't know. Uh, but no, I've never heard Falkirk be used in that term. He's trying to make get back on board with the people of Falkirk after maybe, this little yeah. slip up. Yeah, maybe he's. I, I, he'll be too busy to do these TikToks soon because all these restaurants are going are starting to open up again. So he'll yeah. be he'll be back on the stove. So do you have another story for us this week? Dinner, you fucking sweetheart. Me, five woman launches trained killer tirade at Joiner from the Dundee Courier this week. Uh, Yes A black belt martial artist said he wasn't phased After coming face to face with an irate Fife woman Who claimed she was a trained killer So this joiner, basically, to give the story He is doing a job in a kind of residential street And he's got a white transit van Much like our um, Scarlett Johansson drives in Under the Skin Coming up very shortly And he's loading up the van after finishing his day at work. And he's got the doors open. So as you can imagine, this woman comes in her car and parks right up against his bumper so you can't close the doors. Like, there's plenty of parking on the street. And as Darren says, she didn't even live in that bit. She lived further up the road. But she's obviously just done this because she's looking for a fight. So he was returning the tools to his vehicle when she did this. And his colleague started filming this. So we can post the video up there and uh, you can see it for yourself. So Darren literally asks the woman, are you okay? Because she parked so close to the rear of the van. And then it all just kicked off. (laughs) Darren said he had no idea it was being filmed. Uh, But he's like, there was plenty of space for her to reverse her car back. She lived further up the street, so I don't know why she didn't park there. Darren asks her if she's okay. And the female shouts back that she's going to punch him in the pus before advising her (laughs) that she was a trained killer and was previously in the army. She then threatened to disable his van in minutes with her background in the corpse of royal engineers. <laughs> so he just burst out laughing and was like, what are you on? Like, I, he said, I thought it was bonkers. And then the foul language started flying out of her mouth. She told me she was a trained killer, which I thought was ironic, given that I'm a black belt in BJJ. You kind of have to be a trained killer. So he posted this video online to show the atrocious manner in which he had been treated. But he saw the funny side, and he never knew it was going to go viral. But people have been messaging him to ask what happened when the camera went off. Uh, apparently she threatened to phone the police, but nothing came of it. And oh. he just moved his van forward, shut the doors and drove off. Police Scotland confirmed they were not asked to attend the incident. <laughs> so I, it's just a little story, but I just found it amusing that this woman has lost the pot and saying that she's a trained killer. She's going to punch him in the pus. And I, I particularly like the I can disable this van in minutes. I don't know what he did to annoy her so much, but never mind. What a rich, uh, culturally rich world we live in when all these things are... Because, rec- like, 20 years ago, that story would be purely anecdotal. But, be- but because of the, the wonder of smartphone technology, you know, we, the whole world can see it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So do you have any more news for us this week, Nicky? Uh, I've got one last quick one, which I'll just do quick. Um, who's your favourite superhero? Batman. I mean, the obvious answer there is super grand, but okay, I'll take I'll take Batman. A Scots chippy has been banned from using their Batterman mascot light to attract customers. This is in the village of Muir of Ord in the Highlands. Right. And this, the basic story is that this fish and chip shop, who is owned by Jackie Pickett, and it's called Jackie's Fish and Chips, she created this superhero 
called Batterman as her mascot. You know, fair play, it's a great idea. What she did though, is that she bought a massive light that shines into the sky, so it kind of resembles the bat signal. This light can be seen 15 miles into the sky. <laughs> and beams alerts to customers with any offers. Uh, unfortunately for her, the council have told her that she can't use it. <laughs> and it has to be taken down. She said, I find the whole thing so hypocritical. The Highland Council lit up Inverness Castle and even used 15 lights on the Keswick Bridge that were made by the same company that sold me the light. It's only six miles from Inverness as the crow flies, so my light wouldn't impinge on the rural areas like the lights they do. It's double standards. But if the council <laughs> wants to stick us in the 1960s using candle lights, then that's up to them. But I think we should be moving into the 21st century. Now, I wasn't around in the 60s, but I'm pretty sure we had electricity. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had a bat signal in the 1960s. <laughs> I, uh, I understand why she's aggrieved. You know, I, I feel like I'm on her side. The, the idea of like a small business, like a chip shop, like appropriating popular culture like the bat signal to advertise like fish suppers in the highlands. <laughs> i got a lot of time for that right? I'm on her side uh, but she, could have had, she should have had a bit of she, she should have considered her response a bit better because I feel that she's made a bit of an arse of herself. I mean I, I can remember I wasn't born in the 1960s, I was born in the 1970s but I could remember when power cuts were a sort of semi regular thing like every maybe few months all the power would go off for maybe half an hour usually by the time you had um, found the candles the power was back on again but <laughs> the 1960s people walking about walking about the high but maybe it was like that in the highlands up there in the outside Inverness in the 1960s in these little rural villages maybe they didn't have electricity yet maybe the grid hadn't stretched far enough out to what's it called Oran of what or Muir of it's a uh, Muir of Ord Muir of Ord maybe, maybe the grid hadn't reached Muir of Ward in the 1960s. But I'm in complete agreement with you. I think it's a brilliant idea. She's trying to promote her fish and chip shop. She's come up with this character, Batterman. Brilliant. Yes. Fucking and, brilliant. <laughs> and she's obviously spent quite a lot of money on this high-powered beam <laughs> that just shoots into the sky. It's brilliant. I just, I wish you could see it in action. You know, fish suppers. Two for a fiver. <laughs> as you're driving down is that the northern lights no it's jackie's fish and chip shop it's batterman to the rescue batterman i mean He's, that's brilliant i thought you were going to tell me that like dc had got wind of it and said here that's our intellectual property what batterman well you know i mean like the the bat signal etc no dc are okay with it it's the the scourge of inverness council that are is batterman's greatest villain at this stage <laughs> I can't believe you were thinking twice about telling us that story. That's brilliant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's, a br- That's a brilliant story. God bless, Jackie. And I, I'm sorry about the decision, but we at the Swally salute you. Oh, dear. <clears throat> um, so, anything else this week, or does that conclude the news? That definitely concludes the news, I think. I don't think anything else could top that story. So, shall we move on to our review? It was your choice this week, so why don't you introduce... Yes, it was indeed. It was my choice this week. And I picked something a little bit different for us to review after the the musical aspect of Sunshine on Leith last time on the Swally, I thought we'd go for a little bit of sci-fi. So I picked Under the Skin, which is a 2013 science fiction film set and filmed in Scotland. It was directed by Jonathan Glazer 
and it's loosely based on the 2000 novel by Michelle Faber. Uh, it stars Scarlett Johansson as an otherworldly woman who preys on men in Scotland in her trusty white transit van. It was the winner of numerous awards and film critics just absolutely loved this film and it was named the best film of the year by many critics. Before I go into my history with this film, this was the first time you'd seen it, I believe, Greg. I, I'm sure you were aware of the film, but you hadn't actually seen it before. Yeah, I knew about it. When they were filming this, the scenes in Glasgow, I was still living in Glasgow, so there was a lot of stuff like in the local press, like Scarlett Johansson spotted here and there. I was aware of it, and I didn't get the chance to see it when it first came out. I kind of knew what it was about, but the one thing that I didn't realise, so Glasgow had been used a few times Times and has been used quite a few times for film sets doubling for other places. So I remember like years ago for the movie World War Z, they filmed one of the early scenes in and around George Square in Glasgow, but they, they changed George Square and they, they put all American street signs and stuff up in American cars because it was supposed to be Philadelphia. Most recently... And actually, when I was back in Glasgow a couple of years ago with the kids, they were filming a car chase for Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and the Furious spin-off movie, but, but Glasgow was doubling for London. I kind of went into this film expecting the city of Glasgow to be doubling for somewhere else. I didn't, mm, okay. didn't realise that the film was um, set in Glasgow in Scotland. So when, I think the first thing, the, the first line of the movie is uh, Scarlett Johansson doing a good English accent, asking mm. somebody how to get to the M8. And I was just like, right, this... So I, I kind of went into the film expecting one thing <laughs> and got something completely different. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very unusual film, but... And I think I don't know if I'd have stuck with it if it had been some if it had been set somewhere else or if you know if Glasgow had been Dublin. But I think what's so and I, I enjoyed the film. I don't I don't want anybody to think that I didn't because I, I did enjoy it. I, I watched it twice um, because I had to watch it twice to be honest because it is that sort of film. But there is something because Scarlett Johansson is she's a very very good actress, but she is a movie star, right? I think we sort of touched on it when we were when we're talking about Sean Connery after he passed away, like, Sean Connery was a good actor, but he was a, he was a movie star, right? And that's what made him so compelling. Scarlett Johansson's got both going on, and to see somebody, I mean, she's obviously beautiful, she's a beautiful woman, to see Scarlett Johansson wandering around the Buchanan galleries, looking at makeup and boots, and trying on, and selecting skinny jeans, whilst the dialogue of the city of Glasgow goes on around her, I got a real kick out of it. I gotta be yeah. honest, a real kick out of it. Yeah, lost. What are you looking for? I'm looking for, for the M8. Up to the roundabout. Are you walking? Left. Yep. Where are you walking to? Home. Oh, you're going home? <laughs> to your family? No, no, just myself. Just yourself? Uh, it's great. Yeah, hi. You can do whatever I like. So where are you coming from? Coven, right then. Sorry? Govan. Govan. Did you work there? No, no. Don't work there. I work for myself. Do you want to walk? Eh. Aye, why not? As the film goes on, you sort of understand the, cho like, the choice that Jonathan Glazer, who directed the movie, made by putting someone like Scarlett Johansson in that kind of context and how it enforces the narrative of the film and everything. But, yeah, I mean, it's, like, we've said it a hundred times. It's always a, It's always a bit of a thrill to see somewhere that you know particularly well up on this big screen. Yeah, very, very interesting film. 
I'm, I'm really glad that you picked it because I'm not sure that I would ever, I would ever have got round to watch it, to watching it if uh, we hadn't, if you hadn't picked it for the swirly. It's a very interesting film. You say you watched it twice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you watch it for a third time. Okay. However, it comes with a bit of homework beforehand. So, <laughs> my history of this film. I actually watched this when I was on my way to meet you. It was just when it had come out, and I was coming back to Scotland for a wedding. And on the the flight over, I loaded up my iPad with a few films, and I watched them on my Emirates flight from Dubai to Glasgow. I picked a Scarlett Johansson double bill for that flight. I started off with Don John. Have you seen Don John? Yeah, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt is basically a porn addict, and yeah. Looking back now, I'm not sure why I picked a double bill of Don John and Under the Skin to watch on a flight. I I don't know what the people behind me or behind to the opposite thought of me uh, if they were looking at my screen because Don John, there's quite a few graphic scenes. And of course, Under the Skin, Scarlet's naked for quite a bit of the film. Um, It may have been because I'd watched the kind of lightness and funniness of Don John, then I watched Under the Skin, that I didn't quite appreciate this film when I watched it. And that's going back six, seven years ago now that Mm -hmm. I watched it. I'd always kind of thought, yeah, it's not that great. I don't know what all the fuss is about. Then, about two months ago, I read the book for the first time. Now, the book is, that's why the film is loosely based on the book. The book is very different. It's very much more expansive. And it's actually set in the Highlands. She drives around Inverness and Dingwall. I don't know if she saw Batman, but <laughs> she drives around that area. Um, and she does mention like she, she never really goes past Aberdeen and drives that area. And she drives a little red Toyota rather than a, a big white transit. And there are there's more of them. There's not just her. There's a, there's a few other people there. And they go into more detail about what they actually are and what they do with the humans that they capture. Reading the book... And I, I, I could hardly put the book down when I was reading it. It's so good. And then watching the film again the other day, it changed the film for me so much. And I just understood it so much more. And I absolutely loved it. And as you say, the, the filming techniques are so incredible. It's all hidden cameras. Hmm. Like when she's walking in Buchanan galleries and stuff, and when she's speaking to guys in the van, it, that's all hidden cameras. Um, I, Jonathan Glazer described it as like an existential version of Beatles About in terms of they were tricking these people and they were in Glazer and a couple of like runners were in the back of the van and she's speaking to these real Glaswegian men uh, giving our directions to the big Asda to go on to the M8 and as they walk away like a runner will jump out the back of the van and chase after them to get them to sign a fucking release form <laughs> to say that they can use them in the film and apparently they filmed the, there was lots of men that were like uh no oh, really? <laughs> I don't want you to use me in the film <laughs> so the majority of that dialogue is completely improvised and completely off the cuff we'll come to a couple later because i listened to an interview yesterday with the and this is the character name in the film it's the disfigured man Mm -hmm. i'll come to him later but yeah he gave some real insights into the ways that things were filmed in the film but um yeah it's a very interesting and Mm -hmm. very odd film there's hardly any dialogue there's but it's 
it's so powerful and you kind of can't take your eyes off the screen. Yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of that's to do with uh, with Scarlett Johansson. You know what I mean? Because she's, like we mentioned before, she's a very, very good actress. But we're used to seeing her in things like, like uh, Black Widow and the Avengers. And I remember like, when I was thinking about, you know, what can I say that's quite funny about Under the Skin? Before I watched it, what can I say that's quite funny about Scarlett Johansson? So I was going to say, yeah, Under the Skin starring Home Alone 3's Scarlett Johansson but after watching the film I thought well I don't really feel really good about saying that because you know because like to your point she doesn't really have many lines the the lines that she does have she improvises when I was researching the movie she she learned how to drive a transit van obviously on the on the opposite side of the roads from which she probably grew up uh, learning to drive on and um, she, she she does like a really good English accent like a really yeah. good English accent, and so they, when you when you're watching her, sort of observing everyone else and selecting who she's going to try and seduce and entice, and you know she wants to find out if people have got families or if anyone's waiting for them at home, etc. And obviously, if they do, then she kind of moves on from them. But again, I think this is the, the power of her performance. She's they, her, her conversation with these guys is quite. She's smiling. It's quite easy. And then as soon as she decides that. Right, I can't take this guy because someone's waiting for him. Her expression just goes back. So like she doesn't like, it's it's only really in maybe the third act of the film you see what I guess is supposed to be kind of genuine emotion, you know, when she she kind of becomes the sort of victim herself towards, you know, in the last maybe half an hour of the movie. But all the all the way through, you know, she's sort of observing Glasgow and stuff and the people of Glasgow and everything. And I, I sort of wonder, for you know, there must have been a bit of that for Scarlett Johansson as well. You know, when these guys are talking to her, all right, doll, what's happening in that? You know, she's... <laughs> She must, I mean, she must have. I mean, and she held out for this film apparently because it took Jonathan Glazer a long time to to make it, and um, she was like on board for four years. So she was, you know, she supported it. She was up for it, and uh, yeah, just going through her head because one of the guys she, she seduces is the main character's older brother in Ned's the movie Ned's uh, Joe Souza, and. Um, I mean, he must have thought he's fucking, he's, all these horses came in at once. You know, he gets to have a wee dance and a bit of a kiss and a cuddle with Scarlett Johansson and then take his clothes off in front of her uh, for the seduction scene and everything. But, you know, especially when, you know, when she's in Glasgow, it looks like the movie's been shot in the sort of winter. So it's quite that sort of low sky that Glasgow has in the winter and it's a bit dreek and dull and all that. But you know you were talking about the hidden cameras. You, you know the scene in the, in the middle of the movie when she falls over on the street? She's walking down. I think she's on Argyle Street or somewhere and she trips over. Yeah. And I wondered if, you know, I guess those were just people on the street that would have helped her up. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I watched, uh, there was like a two or three minute uh, clip on YouTube with Jonathan Glazer um, mm. describing, because they the cameras they needed for this film, for what they wanted to achieve, didn't exist. They had mm. to be small cameras that could be hidden because like they ripped out the dashboard of that transit and put cameras in it and they're so small and hidden that they can't be really seen but they obviously had to be such high quality that it could be on a cinema and they didn't exist so they made them themselves they actually made these cameras and i think they made eight of them in total and they were the ones that were all around the van um, so yes, the scene where she falls over completely, she was literally just walking down the street, the, the shot that kind of tracks her, the director is in a van 
filming her from the side. There is uh, cameras in shop windows and there's a camera in like a couple of flats in their mm-hmm. kind of their windows looking down. Yep. The people that stop and check if she's okay, completely unscripted, real people walking down the street that day just saw this woman cowping over and stopped to help her. So yeah. Completely, absolutely unscripted. Which, it's amazing that you can do that. And it can look so real and so good as well. You, you do hear somebody say, when she falls over, do you need a wee hand there? <laughs> or something like that. And apparently she was able to she was able to wander around like what are quite busy Glasgow streets at the time that they were filming without anybody really realising who she was. Because I suppose the last thing you expect to see when you're wandering down Argyle Street or up, Buchanan Street is uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, shooting a film. But I think you do often see that. Uh, There's a couple of times I've maybe been out and about and I've seen someone famous in the street. Mm -hmm. And they're past you before you're like, wait a minute, was that Brandon Block? You know, or (laughs) it's kind of, it takes you a minute to register. But yeah, uh, obviously she looks a bit different with the hair and, you know, the the big fur coat and and things. You know, she doesn't look like Scarlett Johansson on a red carpet event. But you would still be like, I can imagine a number of people would have been like, that lassie looked just like Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, as I say, I'm not going to spoil the book for you because I would, I'd love you to read it. I'm not going to force it upon you, but I'd recommend it. Effectively, yes, they live on a farm and there's there's kind of a group of them and they are indeed aliens um, and they call humans vodsels and they call themselves humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they're kind of like dogs. Like, they, they walk on all fours, they have fur. She has actually undergone... A, 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 her character is never named in the film, but in the book she is. She's called Iserly. And she actually undergoes surgery to look like a human. So they, they effectively kind of break her spine so that she walks upright. Um, she's in constant pain. She has to get boots specially made to cover her kind of hooves. She gets her kind of teats surgeoned off and gets massive breast implants so that men will be attracted to her. And she just drives up and down the A9 in her little red Toyota. She doesn't stop and ask for directions. She just picks up hitchhikers. Right. But they have to be muscular men. And She always asks them, much like the film, she'll pick them up, start a conversation with them. If they're going somewhere to meet someone, then she literally takes them to their destination, drops them off, and then goes and picks up someone else. If they say that they don't have anyone, or they live alone, or something, then in the car, she has this little button on her dashboard, and these spikes pop up out of the seat. And effectively, it's like two kind of spikes that go into the passenger's butt cheeks, and knocks them out and then she drives them back to the farm hands them over to the other guys and that's as far as she knows mm-hmm. and then as the book develops she finds out what actually happens to these people and effectively they harvest the the humans for meat and send them back home and it's like a delicacy right for them there so it's almost like a it's almost like a way of like what would be if we were treated like the way we treat animals yeah, yeah. in a way and okay, I'm a vegetarian now, but I'm not all preachy about that. But that's very much what it's like in terms of putting it into that perspective. The film does kind of cover, but it's a bit... Do you are, Well, having just watched it, are you wondering, like, why is she doing this? Or did you have some sort of interpretation of why she's, she's leading these men back? Because in the book, there's no... She does get raped by the kind of high-vis man that yeah. is in the book. But there's no 
sexual element. Right. She doesn't, you know, get naked with these guys. Were you wondering, like, what is she doing with them? Or well, I mean, I thought, yeah. I mean, at first, because I knew a little bit about the film, or before I saw it, I thought that she, I thought that like she was essentially kind of consuming these guys, you know, and and the and the scene where the sort of second scene when she meets the guy in the club and you see the sort of seduction and then the camera stays with him when he's underwater mm. and he he meets the guy from the Czech Republic who she had dragged off the beach earlier who's under there already and then he's he sort of he's kind of bloated and then he's he's you know there's that whole kind of sequence and it looks like there's kind of blood or something pouring into a trough or down a hole mm. or something like that so when it became you know when you see the guy in the motorbike again clearly his job is to kind of help her out or it seems there's like some kind of minder or something like that or it's almost like he's her handler i yeah. think is what i kind of got from it yeah i started to think oh you know maybe there's maybe there's a, a, a kind of bigger purpose to it but it did you know it, i think from your description of the book and as you rightly say it, it sounds as though the author's trying to perhaps make some sort of commentary on how we treat animals for sure but i think the film is more about kind of i think it's more about sexuality and how mm. women you know like there's been in the news an awful lot lately because of the the girl that was murdered by the police officer in London uh, a few weeks ago, you know, there's a big question about how, how safe are women walking the streets? How safe are women mm. walking home from, like, a bar in the evening, etc.? And the film, the film sort of subverts that. So, like... It's not until towards the end of the film that she, that she becomes she has that kind of crisis with the the guy you mentioned the guy with the the deformed guy but you know the, the, for the first like hour of the movie she, she she's a predator you know and the mm. guys that are walking home and and all the guys that she interacts with the ones that she ultimately ends up seducing are quite cocky quite sure of themselves are quite confident with her she's kind of friendly quite cool but friendly charming the scene where on the beach when she's trying to seduce the, the guy from the Czech Republic who's kind of camping on the beach and swimming in the sea. Mm. And we have that tragedy of the woman, the wife going like going into the water to try and rescue the dog that's got into trouble. And then the husband following her in, the Czech guy running in to try and help them both. And she, while well, she watches it all really impassively. It's quite an understated scene, I think, but it's... You know, her complete impassiveness to the tragedy that's going on and, you know, that she's just interested in getting hold of this guy from the Czech Republic because it's established that he's a stranger here, nobody knows him, he's camping, she can take him away without any issues. When he kind of comes back up onto the beach having kind of failed to save the husband and the wife and he's knackered and he's lying kind of recovering on the beach and she whacks him over the head with a rock and then starts dragging him across the beach while the couple's baby sits crying abandoned on the you know what I mean it's mm. just you know of, 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 it's, it's quite hard to watch and, and yeah. that was that was when I started to think well you know what what is her objective here why is she meeting these guys you know and why is she kind of seducing them and against I guess you know it's 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 implied that you know when, when you see them go under the water they're obviously not coming back that's it's it's implied that you know when I mean when I don't mean in the sea but when the when she's seducing them in those scenes and she's taking her clothes off and they're taking their clothes off when you see it the first time it's sort of implied that that guy's not coming back it's it's confirmed when you see that scene that i mentioned before when the camera stays with the guy underwater and we see what happened to the the guy from the czech republic so but yeah i mean it's the book does sound interesting i read that when they were trying to get the film 
they were, when they were developing the film, it was going to be quite true to the book uh, initially. And Brad Pitt, I think, was uh, I read that he was signed on to be one of the aliens. Mm. Um, and uh, then Jonathan Glazer decided that he didn't want to make a straight adaptation of the book. He actually said in an interview that he didn't think the book was very good. But then he did come back and say that he was... I don't think he said it wasn't very good. He said it was sort of... It was a kind of pulpy element to it, you know. And he did then come back and apologise for saying that. But I will say one thing about that scene on the beach. For the actor who plays the guy from the Czech Republic, must have been quite sore getting dragged across that beach by Scarlett Johansson. It does look a little bit rocky and like little (laughs) sharp little shells kind of sticking in there. So yeah, I think a lot of, as I said earlier, the dialogue was improvised. And I did listen to an interview with Adam Pearson, who plays the deformed man. And he was interviewed a few times in terms of this role because they wanted someone like him to to be in the film. And he'd been to like a couple of meetings and he just thought this was some little art house film that he's like, oh yeah, it's funded by Film 4, some little art house, it'll be fine. And I think it was his second to last meeting he went to, and one of the executives said to him, you you do realise what this film is, don't you? And he's like, yeah, it's some film, it's based on a book. Like, I've, I've you know, I, I'm aware of it, I know what it is. And the guy said to him, um, you do realise that Scarlett Johansson has been cast as the woman. And he was like, oh shit, better start taking this seriously now. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a huge thing. I mean, she was literally just off the Avengers, uh, you know, and then this comes out. And okay, you could describe it as an art house film. I don't think it did very well at the box office compared to the budget, but it's a very powerful film, very impactful. And I do love, as you said earlier, about the fact that the way it's set in Glasgow. However, on our last episode, we reviewed Sunshine on Leith and we gave the city of Edinburgh as the winner because Dexter Fletcher made the city of Edinburgh look like the most beautiful place on earth. How do you feel about the way Jonathan Glazer makes Glasgow look in this film? I don't think he does Glasgow a disservice. I mean, it shows it for what it is, you know, just the, the way Glasgow yeah. is. You know, like, like one scene in particular that, that seemed quite true to life is when Scarlett is is walking along and all the girls in their night out come along and basically just are like, oh, come with us to the club and just sort of, (laughs) in a kind of friendly way, kind of drag her off to the nightclub and everything. And, you know, so like, you know, when you see those, those like shots from the hidden camera of just sort of shoppers out in the street, whatever, people crossing the road uh, in the city centre. I mean, it's. I think it just shows Glasgow in, in quite a raw way. I don't think it... You know, when I was reading some of the, re- the reviews, like a lot, a lot of them refer to the tough streets of Glasgow. I think, but most of it, most of what you see of Glasgow is in the city centre. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of obvious to me that these reviewers have maybe never been to Glasgow in their life. Mm. But, they, but yeah. Glasgow, I guess Glasgow ha- still has that old reputation of that old no-mean city... Uh, reputation that we touched on when we did just a boys game last year uh, mm. still available on uh, all <laughs> podcast directories and our website. So yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel like Glasgow had been made to look bad in the movie at all. It just, it was, but I think it's, it's a smart choice because it is. I think Glasgow has got a real personality of its own. 
the city. You know what I mean? And because of the people who live there. And we're, we're talking about it to a couple, actually, that we met, my wife and I, a few weeks ago, who had never been to Glasgow. And my wife isn't from Glasgow. She is from the Midlands, but she moved to Glasgow be- before she met me. And she sort of describes it as Glasgow's a place where people are, like, generally speaking, incredibly friendly to, like, people who are who are obviously visitors and they really want you to like Glasgow, you know? They're very proud of where they come from and so they'll be very friendly. Now, in certain parts of the city, if they see somebody from Glasgow up the street that they don't like, <laughs> whatever, it's different. But when it's um, when it's someone who is new to the city in particular, Mary's black, she's English. So I guess, you know, a lot of, and I met quite a lot of her friends that she had made in Glasgow before I met her and they all treated her... They didn't treat her like she was anything special because she was black and because she was English. But they were all like really, really nice to her. You know what I mean? And really friendly to her and all that kind of thing. And if he's captured anything about Glasgow in the film, I think he's captured that sort of element of it. And mm. that generally speaking, people are quite friendly. No, I would agree. I think it's he's captured the the kind of essence of Glasgow very well. And I don't know what people are speaking about the rough streets. I mean, the, the roughest part well, the two roughest parts probably are when she's driving through the, the crowd coming from the Celtic match. Yeah. And I just love the thought of Scarlett Johansson driving that transit van through a bunch of Celtic fans. <laughs> and I can only presume that they were playing Hibs because when she later on uh, yeah. goes off with the, the next victim, um, who is, of course, uh, Paul Brannigan, who was in... Sunshine on Lease. He, yep. like, I thought he was sticking his Celtic scarf out the window, and it wasn't until he takes his clothes off. I'm like, oh, he's wearing a Hibs top. But they were at a Celtic game, so it must have been a Celtic Hibs game. Um, the second scene that I think maybe is the only other thing I could think of that paints Glasgow in a bad light, but probably true, is when all the Neds jump over her van, like she's driving through Blair Drummond Safari Park, and there are a bunch of monkeys just <laughs> scrambling all over it. And one of them called. One of them calls her a daft cow. I mean, that for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, a wee guy from Glasgow calling like a movie goddess like Scarlett Johansson a daft cow just really made me laugh. That's again because back to what I said about her performance earlier. She doesn't react in any way to that. She just she sort of observes what's going on and then just calmly drives away from them. You know? Yeah. There is one, and I think that's the the time she is becoming kind of more human almost mm-hmm. that she can't control herself and I think it's a wonderful little scene that um, I mean you have to tap your finger to Real Gone Kid by Deacon Blue don't you? <laughs> Definitely yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean she doesn't laugh to Tommy Cooper that's okay it's he's yeah. English it was it was funny <laughs> but yeah tapping your finger to Real Gone Kid that's is that a sign of <laughs> of her becoming you know human is that a sign of her becoming more Scottish that she's it's a it's a little finger tapper so it is well possibly I have to say like when you get to that part of the movie you know she's left the city and she's up in the the high I mean she's obviously I'm saying she's obviously maybe not but it seems like she's up around kind of Loch Gilphead you know kind of Loch Lomond that sort of area I mean you know like again it's clearly winter but the the photography or the cinema, the, the cinematography is amazing. I don't know why there's not more movies that it's, it's probably because it's probably not that easy to film in the kind of conditions up there for much of the year. But mm. 
I, I don't often feel because I didn't really grow up in the countryside or anything and I didn't spend a lot of time going to these sort of locations when I was younger but when I was watching that like, especially when I watched it the second time today I did feel a wee bit homesick or like a real kind of longing just to get out into the fresh air and into the Scottish countryside because Jonathan Glazer it just makes it look amazing there's one scene in particular where there's a light there's a kind of light snow and the wind is kind of blowing the the, the kind of snow and the fog up into like almost like a wave it's just it's a, an amazing moment that he captured there it's amazing uh, yeah no he makes Scotland look incredible in, in terms of that and I, I will agree I think some of the uh, uh, just some of the imagery is so beautiful even when she's walking down the hill to the bus stop yeah and it's all the time in the world is there she walks all the way down the hill and then walks past and I just love the comment of the guy you know bus will be along in a minute and then she marches back to the bus shelter and even that just makes it look beautiful yeah in terms of that the the setting and the area and when they go to the castle and the ruins it's just it just looks beautiful yeah that's uh, that's Tantalan castle the castle there I did wonder. I, yeah. I did mean to check that. Tantalan Castle. Um, I mean, that that whole sequence is, is sort of strange. I mean, I, I've, I've loved the... <laughs> I did love the bus driver when she gets on the bus. I mean, he's like, you've not got the right clays on at all. <laughs> she don't think you should be wearing a jacket in the weather like this. The weather's terrible up here. You catch your death of cold if you've not got a, a jacket or a hat or something on. You've not got the right clays on at all. But that, that whole little sequence when, obviously, the, the guy who you mentioned before who tells her the bus will, the bus will be along and he, you know, he, he takes her home and kind of looks after her and everything and they have a bit of a moment. There's that sex scene which sort of comes out of... Because he's, you know, he's... You kind of get the impression he's a kind of middle-aged guy. Maybe, like, he's never been married or maybe he's divorced or whatever. He, see, he seems like a bit of a... Like, he, like, a bit of a kind of lonely character as well. And, like... And that, that whole kind of sequence when he, you know, he has, a, he has a kind of kiss with her and she's kind of into it and then they have sex and obviously it's the first time, it's the only time she's ever done anything like that and she's a bit, you know, she's sort of checking herself with a lamp and everything, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. I found all that a bit, I mean, it's a bit strange, like, to make that between her and a character like that, you know, I just felt it was a wee bit odd. I mean, I, th- I think it works. Maybe I just wasn't expecting it. I think it's quite an awkward scene in a way yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. he keeps his jumper on. <laughs> whilst, but it is quite an awkward scene, but it works mm-hmm. quite well. But then obviously she feels, I don't know, like guilty, ashamed kind of thing. And, and she runs off. And that's when she runs into the woods. And of course, it's it's so interesting that she meets the the guy in the the high-vis jacket. And the roles are reversed. He asks her the same questions that she would normally ask the the guys she's trying to pick up. Yeah, it's very interesting the way that kind of reverses there. You just offer a ramble in the woods, then? Yeah? You just offer a ramble in the woods? Yeah, yeah. uh, Watch out your step here. It's a bit bit slippery around here, but... uh, this time of year, it's all right in summer. Well, still wet in summer, but uh, not as bad as it is now. But uh, there's plenty of trails around here. Have you been here before? No, first time? Yeah? Oh, you won't get lost. Uh, they're all clearly marked, but uh, there's uh, about 2,000 acres of forest here, so you shouldn't, you should have uh, plenty of places to go in that. You on your own? Yeah. Yeah, on your own? Oh, it's, uh, it's a nice place if you want some solitude. You know, it's, uh, 
gather your thoughts and all that. Yeah, so uh, enjoy yourself okay. anyway, okay? I mean, wait, just to go back to that sex scene, what, how I interpreted it was he, you know, like you know, he's kind of penetrated her. She's found that to be surprising, obviously, because, mm. you know, and then she kind of sits at the end of the bed, she's got the lamp and she's kind of checking herself and she's obviously kind of rattled by it, you know, and that's what makes her, well, that's, well, that's the wrong expression. She's obviously shaken by it and um, runs off into the woods. But I mean, I, th- I think that's what I liked about this film is that a lot of it is open to interpretation. You know, like, the, yeah. that that one scene that you and I have both interpreted it kind of slightly differently. And I think, as, you know, I think without someone like her in the lead, you know, like probably one of like, a Hollywood A-lister now, but even at the time, like, like you said before, she had just come off the Avengers. She had, you know, she'd been, a, she'd been like a, a bona fide film star for the best part of ten years, I think, before she made the movie. And I think, in like, in without her in it, it becomes a bit of a low key sort of indie art film, right? But it's well, it's one that you might never see. Her star power is, even though, it, like to your point, it didn't do very well. Although it did open ahead of Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which she's also in, and it's opening weekend. But obviously, ultimately, Captain America took a lot more money. I completely agree with you. I think it needs Scarlett Johansson. I mean, I, I think the others that were considered for the lead, it's like Gemma Atherton, mm-hmm. Eva Green, January Jones, Abby Cornish, Olivia Wilde. Yeah. All wonderful actresses, but not a patch on Scarlet. And I, I cannot imagine anyone else in this role. Now she just plays it perfectly. Yeah, she's a she is a fantastic actress, and I've been a long admirer of her work. You know, from Ghost World, which I, I is a film I absolutely adore, to Lost in Translation, which is a mm-hmm. film I just think is incredible. And throughout the rest of her work, to for me, one of her favorite performances from Johansson is in her. You don't see her, mm-hmm. just her voice. Yeah, but she still delivers. An incredible performance in that film. Yeah, this film needs her in it. And I don't think it would have been, as you say, it would have been probably more of like kind of an art house film without her in it. I mean, when the film started, it kind of made me think about The Man Who Fell to Earth, you know, the David Bowie movie in the 70s. The same way that movie starts, it's all quite ambiguous. You kind of see like him kind of running down the hill, but it's from his point of view and everything. I thought there was a bit of, there was some... uh, kind of commonality there between the two films. Yeah, um, I could agree with you on that. You mentioned earlier that uh, it was critically acclaimed. You're 100% right. Um, 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. I did find a review, though, that wasn't very kind about the movie, and it's by a critic called David Walsh. He writes for the World Socialist website... <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be good then. But yeah, there's just an ex. I've not. I didn't read the full review. But there's an excerpt here that's on the Rotten Tomatoes website that says, "You can just imagine D- David Walsh. Uh, if Johansson had been asked to speak to Glasgow residents in depth about their lives and conditions, their thoughts and feelings, under the skin might have had genuine value. One thinks that." David is perhaps missing the point of the film. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a social commentary on the people of Glasgow. It's, it's, you know, it's perhaps it could be a social, you know, if maybe it's maybe like a little bit about the kind of plight of asylum seekers coming to the UK and or coming to like a different country and everything is different from what they're used to. Like we said before, female sexuality, whatever. But I don't think it's 
I don't think Jonathan Glazer is trying to make a social uh, a social statement along the lines that uh, David Walsh is yearning for. Well, at least I know where not to go for my film reviews in future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, you're right. Um, a box office failure, I suppose. Uh, yeah. it, gr- it grossed uh, $2.6 million in the United States and Canada, $4.6 million in other countries, so about $7.5 million all in. In the United States, it opened $140,000 in four theatres, uh, and despite earning the highest per theatre average of all films playing that weekend, even above Captain America The Winter Soldier, which obviously Johansson also stars in, it failed to make the list of top grossing films in the United States. Um, but it is on the BFI's top 100 movies of the 21st century, it's at 36, which is not bad going. That's not bad at all. Yeah. 60, sorry, 61st, not 36. Uh, it's not so impressive then. <laughs> Uh, famous American critic Rob Roger Ebert liked the movie as well, but he did make a comparison to another movie that we were talking about not that long ago, which I which I did think about. Um, the I think the nineteen ninety four movie Species with Natasha Henstridge. I <laughs> thought the same thing. It it's very similar in a way. Yeah. Now is this because and. This is one thing that kind of saddens me about the reputation this film has. It's probably most known for that film where Scarlett Johansson gets her kit off. Mm. And it's such a shame because I think it is very important and valuable to the film that she Mm -hmm. does. Yeah. But that's not what this film's about. No. And it, it saddens me. Whereas, yeah, if I think species, I do think, oh, that's that film where Natasha Henstridge gets her kit off a lot. <laughs> yeah. And Michael Madsen and Ben Kingsley kind of run around. They had something to do in that film as well, but I can't really remember what it was. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to also appreciate the time in our lives that Species came out. So I think I would, I would have been... 16 or 17, you a couple of years younger. So, you know, I think Scarlett Johansson has taken her clothes off in other films. Um, you know, she's, I don't think, she, you know, she's, I guess if she feels that the that it's important to the narrative of the movie, she'll she'll do it. I mean, they, 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 but there's nothing like gratuitous about the nudity in this film. You know, no, they, no, like, not at all. And there's only really two scenes. There's like this, the second sort of seduction scene where she does get completely naked. But, but like, Glazer films are from, like, a distance. So it's not, like, a close-up. But then, And then there's the scene when she's in the guy's house that's, that's trying to look after her and help her, where she kind of takes her clothes off. And they, they, I kind of interpreted it that she was taking the opportunity to really study this body that she was in, you know, and really kind of have a look at it properly and whatnot. And she's looking at herself in the mirror. It's not sort of essential, the nudity. You know what I mean? It's not, like, a hot and heavy sex scene where she gets takes all her clothes off. I guess that's one of the, you know, if, if, if the kind of bonus of getting Scarlett Johansson in your kind of low-budget indie movie is exposure, I guess the flip side to that is Scarlett Johansson being naked in your sort of low-budget independent film. And to your point, perhaps attracts the wrong type of attention. It's necessary for the role. It expands the film. It makes an impact on the storyline and almost kind of passed you by in a way. You know what yeah. I mean? It, yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. It, it, it was so I was so invested in this film, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that you are happy that I picked it yeah, for yeah. the Swally and that I could I could introduce you to it and read the book and watch it again, and you'll have a whole different perspective on it. Yeah, because like when I was younger, when I was like incredibly 
interested and enthusiastic about movies and I would watch like foreign films and independent films and things and I would read about them I would seek them out you know and stuff like that um and as I as I got older I guess you know kind of priorities change and I've not really as much not as much would go and like seek out something like this but because I've been having this kind of BFI kind of British film thing over the last kind of few weeks since I listened to that podcast, this sort of sits quite nicely in that for me as well. You know, it's like, you know, like a, a, a movie that it's not a straight narrative. It's um, it is open to interpretation. You know, there's a lot of ambiguity around it. It never really it leaves you to kind of decide why she's here and why she's doing what she's doing. Who the guy in the motorbike, and then later on in the film, towards the end, it turns out there's more than one guy on a motorbike. Mm. There's a few guys, you know, and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, I like that. And you know, it's quite a bold thing to do, especially now when you know I don't think. The market for this type of film is not as big as it might have been. You know, I think about the sort of early 90s when Tarantino was starting to emerge and filmmakers like him when, you know, people would seek out these lesser-known independent films and stuff. I I don't think you get as much of it now. And I think that's probably what what kind of hurt this film. And I was reading that apparently like it was booed at the Venice Film Festival after it was shown. Like it was booed by... By, by critics didn't like it and or the people who were there to see it and I suppose that, you know if, if you watched it at the cinema you might so you might leave with a bit of a feeling of dissatisfaction because nothing is really explained but mm. I think when you sort of, when you watch it at home and you're you know in the comfort of your own house and in your own time and you can rewind it back a wee bit if you kind of feel that you've missed something or whatever it's uh, what I mean is like the scenes that are at night they're kind of lit to be quite dark you know I, I had to have I watched it on my laptop and I had to have the brightness setting up like fully up because there's a yeah. lot of because you know especially that scene where that we talked about before where you see the 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 Czech guy kind of be kind of pulled out of his skin underwater and the blood and everything it's quite dark you know yeah, if you yeah, watch there is. you know so um but yeah no it was it was good and it's it's kind of made me resolve to see to try and seek out uh, perhaps more, perhaps lesser known movies um, to watch hmm. in my leisure instead of just watching American Werewolf in London again. <laughs> or in, Which Inception. I would argue could also be a slightly lesser known movie. You've watched Repulsion. That's a very lesser yeah, known yeah. movie, but also an amazing film. So, yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad I could introduce you to Under the Skin. I think you were about to say exactly what I was about to say. Shall we run it through the awards? We sh- I mean, we should. It's not quite a few of the awards. Because, I mean, so there's, I guess... I, uh, I beg to differ. I've got one for every award, mate. Have and you? Often, I don't have. I always forget an award. And I have to kind of backtrack and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> I've got one for every award this week. Well, go ahead. Kick us off, then. Okay. Well, the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. Yeah, Scarlet. Yeah, Scarlet. Yeah. Best Use of Swearing. Which is a the is that the Francis Begbie Award? Yeah, there's like background swearing. I didn't, I don't, didn't really have one for that. There's one clear one, and it is kind of background, and it is the guy in the van that she picks up. I think it's the third guy or second or third guy, right. and he says his first line, and it's kind of hidden under the kind of engine drum, but he does say, "You're fucking gorgeous." <laughs> Fuck, I'm a hell of a lot of 
So yeah, I gave it to him. Okay, yeah, I don't have anything, so we'll give it to him for that one. For the James Cosmo Awards, I gave it to Paul Brannigan because he is he's getting around a bit, right? He is. He's been in a couple of things now that we've seen, and yeah, so I had to give it to him. I mean, let's face it, there's no one else. We're not going to give it to Scarlett Johansson because <laughs> she hasn't really been in everything Scottish. And a lot of the other actors are kind of just random people from the street. So yeah, Paul Brannigan wins it for me. For the Scottish moment, so I had... I had three moments, all of which we have touched on already. So the bus driver, <laughs> just his general chat, you know, just he doesn't care whether you want his opinion or not. He's going to fucking give it to you, right? So and, yeah. and, and, and when he tells a guy to chase himself when he thinks that he's chatter up, <laughs> I like that. I had um, I had Scarlet falling over and people's reaction. Do you, know, oh, do you need a mm-hmm. wee hand there, Hen? Well, what happened? And the last one I had was the group of girls just dragging Scarlet into the club with them because she's by herself, a girl by herself. Well, come on to the club, come on, we're not going to the club. <laughs> well, we're in agreement there because I had two, and it was the the girls dragging her to the club, and but my main one was the the people picking her up. The fact it was covertly filmed, they're real people. That for me is a beautifully Scottish thing yeah. that they are stopping and picking her up and checking your right hen, making sure she's okay, and that's what I wanted to give it to this week. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I quite like the thought of when the when they'd finished filming for the day, Scarlett having a drink with those girls in the club and having like a chat and all that sort of thing. You know, I could just imagine her like just being like incredibly friendly and polite to these girls, and like, oh, I love your dress. Where'd you get it from? Oh, I got it from you. Look. It was on sale, would you like <laughs> So what we've done, we've done everything Scottish. We've done James Cosmo, we've done Hugh McGregor, we've done Begbie, done our Scottish moment. Who, I mean, it's probably a bit of a redundant question. Yeah, it's the Sean Connery Award for yeah. You Got to Go Home and Fuck the Prom Queen. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson. Has to be, It's right? her film. It's her film. And she is incredible in this. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah, without a doubt. So she's, she's. I think the next big thing she's going to be in is Black Widow. I think that that's finally getting a release date. My friend works for Vox Cinemas here. I think he said it's coming out in the summer. So um, it'd be interesting to see if she ever... I mean, she did Marriage Story on Netflix, which did it, I never saw it, but I, I know that it was it was acclaimed. Uh, I think some Oscars there, right? It's kind of a tough watch um, mm. in terms of watching it with your wife. It's amazing. It, it's, it's very good. Adam Driver is incredible in it. It's very good. I mean, it's Kramer versus Kramer kind yeah. of for the 21st century, yeah. but it's, yeah, I, I would recommend it, but it's a tough watch. Well, I'd be interested to see if she ever goes back and does something of this kind of scale again. You know, if she just... She strikes me as the type of actress that would, though. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think she would. This is the type of thing she would exactly do. I mean, let, let's be fair. She was only massive. Yeah, she was. Know, when she filmed this. She she didn't need to. I I genuinely think she would go and do something kind of like this, kind of low budget. She obviously absorbs herself into roles. Yeah. And it's incredible that she has done massive mainstream success with the Marvel films, but mm-hmm. she can do films like this. And yeah, I... I wouldn't surprise me she'll pop up with some amazing little gem like this in the future. Very good. I believe that we've had a request for the next episode of The Swally. We have indeed. It should be your choice, Greg. But we've had a request this week. Yeah. So uh, Mr. Rick Steen from Aberdeen has got in touch with us. And he has said, absolutely love your podcast, guys. It's a little hidden gem. So nice to get a little taste of Scotland. You can tell that the hosts are old friends and have their very good rapport. I like the fact you don't go for obvious choices 
and you review some of the more obscure pieces of Scottish media. Some of the new stories you have are great too. The story of the shite in the Iceland freezer had been laughing for ages. So, he has requested, can you review a show that I held dear in my childhood and that I used to love watching every week? Our request, Greg, is to review. Uh, it's 1986 that it debuted. The comedy sketch show... Naked Video. Brilliant. I've not watched Naked Video for years. I have not watched Naked Video for years either. And I've got a very good story about Naked Video and my neighbour offering me a VHS and my mum thinking it was a porn tape. <laughs> and I mean, it ran for five series. So should we watch the first series? Yeah. Yeah, we'll watch the first series. Yeah. Give it the first series a viewing and then take it from there. Fantastic. Well, next time, Naked Video. Naked Video. Well, Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod or Twitter. That's another way. We are uh, on there at Swally Pod. And if you would like to email us like Rick Steen has and request anything or give us any news stories that you'd like us to mention on air, then you can get in touch with us on Culture Swally at gmail.com you can also contact us through the website uh, oh of course the website is at cultureswallyblog.com so you can, you can there's links to our social media there there's also links to all the episodes that will take you to the, uh, the Apple iTunes podcast directory and you can find other past episodes and soon lots of interesting bits of information about the some of the things that we've reviewed and also maybe some links to some of our favourite news stories over the last sort of nine or ten months. Wonderful. Well, I'd recommend everyone to check that out. All right. Well, well, I'll go and find a naked video on YouTube and start watching that. Until next time. Until next time. See you later. See you later.